we have uh, been able to uh, get a Canada-wide arrest warrant for this individual. Tonight, the big break in the swerve smash and grab through Vaughn Mills Mall. What police know about the case and the individuals responsible. Good evening. We'll bring you that story shortly, but we begin with the words from a grieving mother three years to the day after the death of her little girl. The body of Kira Kagan was found at the bottom of a cliff in Milton's Rattlesnake Point, along with her father. Tonight, a new report suggests it may not have been an accident, and now the province wants it investigated. CTV Siobhan Morris joins us tonight with more on these developments. Siobhan. Zoraida, a panel of experts in domestic violence believes that Kira's death may have been an act of preventable revenge. And Ontario's chief coroner now wants a look at how this was able to happen and how it might be prevented in the future. The winter and the snow, you know, it all reminds us of uh, what occurred on that awful day three years ago. On this day in 2020, four-year-old Kira Kagan and her father, Robin Brown, were found dead in a conservation area in Milton. It's just truly awful and an ongoing nightmare that we live as, you know, our daughter is not growing older and celebrating the milestones that uh, she should be. A group of family violence experts has determined little Kira's death may have been retribution by her father against her mother for ending their relationship years before. Kagan told family court she suffered physical, sexual, emotional and financial abuse. There were over 22 risk factors for lethality and yet this information, although it's widely available in the known body of literature on domestic violence, it was not taken into account in our case. On the anniversary of Kira's death, the province says a coroner's inquest will be called. To look into the circumstances, particularly from a government point of view, family, children's services, children's aid, the court system, the lawyering, the custody dispute. A probe Kagan welcomes. Shining a light on what occurred, the failings in the system, and you know, preventing this type of tragedy from happening to other children. While an inquest isn't about finding criminal wrongdoing. There were a number of warning signs that we now know were not properly addressed. And if those were addressed, would the young girl still be alive? Kira was a very bright very spunky, sassy uh, little girl. It's in Kira's name that her mom has become an advocate for change. Judicial education on domestic violence and coercive control. Um, you know, child protection agencies need, need to really be about protecting the children. So they're able to grow in love and safety. Also today, the Senate recommended approval of something called Kira's Law. It's federal legislation that does a couple things. One of them is better educating judges on domestic violence to help them with their decision making. Reporting live, I'm Siobhan Morris. Zoraida, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. An update now on a story that captivated the region last week. Police say they believe they've identified one of the suspects behind that bizarre drive through heist inside Vaughn Mills Mall. CTV John Woodward joins us now with tonight's new information. And John, what are police saying? Michelle, police are looking for two suspects they believe were responsible for this. The arrest warrant gives them the power to arrest all across the country. The video of this audacious crime was seen around the world. The black Audi that smashed through glass doors and then drove through Vaughn Mills Mall, stealing a load of electronics. Now, York Region Police say they know who may have been behind the wheel. We have uh, been able to uh, get a Canada-wide arrest warrant for this individual uh, by the name of Israel Muamba. 
and he is currently wanted uh, by York Regional Police on this Canada-wide arrest warrant for six criminal offences in relation to this break and enter. A Canada-wide warrant because Mwamba is mobile. Police say he's from Montreal and the car was stolen more than 500 kilometers away from the mall in Laval, Quebec. The owner was trying to sell it on Facebook Marketplace before the would-be buyers drove off. Never in my life have I thought that I would see my car driving in the mall especially through windows. The theft, a departure from the surge of high-tech robberies that have been plaguing the GTA. The car was recovered in Halton region at James Snow Parkway and Highway 401 with significant damage, though the damage to the mall itself was far worse. Uh, we have been told that the damage value is, a, is roughly around $100,000. Moamba is not the only suspect. Police say they are also looking for another man who may also have been involved in the brazen heist. Police are asking Moamba directly to get a lawyer and turn himself in and asking anyone else who knows where he is to give them a call. Reporting live from Vaughan, I'm John Woodward. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, John. With Toronto facing a looming budget shortfall, few would argue that everyone at City Hall needs to row in the same direction in order to get our finances under control. But tonight there are signs that boat may have a few leaks. CTV's Natalie Johnson joins us now from City Hall to explain. Natalie. Well, Zoraida, the Auditor General's office received more than 1,000 complaints of wrongdoing to its hotline last year, more than ever before. She investigated and in some cases, some city workers were fired for fraud. In the year leading up to the city's toughest budget since amalgamation, official allegations of municipal fraud and waste were the highest in 20 years. In a tough budget year, you know, when I'm looking at every dollar, um, we see wasted money in the city. Um, we are a big city, um, so it's not surprising that we're there, but I think we need somebody like the Auditor General <clears throat> to be able to go in and to find that waste. She did just that, and in some cases, the misuse of Toronto tax dollars came at the hands of city workers. In one case, an employee lied about their job, earnings and household status to fraudulently collect $86,000 in municipal subsidies while working full-time for the city. The employee was fired and the city is pursuing criminal charges. Another city employee was found to have used their position to unlawfully approve a project connected to their personal business. The employee did not declare a conflict and altered city records. They resigned before they could be fired. In another case, a city employee was found to be working a second job at a landscaping company during work hours. They had submitted incorrect timesheets and were caught through city vehicle GPS data. That employee was suspended. In another instance, a city employee was found to fraudulently use sick days in order to work a second job. That employee was fired. More so than ever, when we're coming around asking for a 7% tax increase, people want to know that services are delivered efficiently and that any instances of fraud and waste are being dealt with swiftly. The mayor's office said in a statement, while any example of fraud and waste makes your blood boil when you read about it, the hotline is working. This hotline saves our city money, helps safeguard against fraud, helps hold any possible fraudsters accountable, and helps to recover taxpayers' dollars. And the mayor's office says this once again demonstrates the value of the auditor's office as she continues to crack down on fraud. Reporting live at City Hall, I'm Natalie Johnson. Back to you. Thank you, Natalie. Toronto is also being hampered by another type of waste. Still ahead, a solution to something everyone who isn't a raccoon sees as a major city problem.
But first, a live look at the skyline tonight and at the end of what has been a great day for puddle jumpers from most everyone else, not so much. Lindsay Morrison is here now with a look at our current conditions. Still raining out there. You know, it's still raining in some areas, Zoraida. Some are getting a bit of a break. There's some drizzle right now downtown Toronto, but we're not finished with the active weather just yet. Here's a look at the satellite and radar. Next round of rain just pushing into the Hamilton area. We'll be dealing with that over the next hour here in uh, most parts of the GTA. Still a widespread special weather statement. Uh, freezing rain warnings are coming to an end. There's a wind warning for Niagara and a fog warning for many parts of the GTA. Uh, visibility especially reduced around Mississauga and Hamilton at this hour. As for the winds, not overly strong yet. That is going to be the big story tonight. Look at those wind gusts already in Windsor. It's also milder in that part of the province. Nine degrees currently in Windsor. It is 13 degrees in Niagara Falls. We're about four here in the city of Toronto with the temperature continuing to rise tonight. Lots to talk about about when it comes to your weather forecast. It's all ahead, but for now, Zoraida, I'm going to send it back to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Parents in Laval tonight are struggling to come to terms with an unthinkable loss. Nearly 36 hours have passed since a bus crashed into a daycare, killing two children and injuring another six. Today, Quebec's premier visited the scene to offer his condolences. There's nothing more important than children. Uh, personally, uh, most stress I can have in my life is to make sure my children are happy. So uh, I, I think we uh, don't have to hesitate to get some psychological help. It's important. Francois Legault also praised some of the workers who helped rescue survivors in the moments after the crash. A vigil will be held at a church in the neighborhood where the tragedy took place. That begins in about 30 minutes. And CTV's Vanessa Lee is live in Laval tonight and joins us now. Vanessa, as the reality of what happened sinks in, how is the community doing? Well, Michelle, everyone in this community is absolutely traumatized. Everyone we speak to, that's that's all anyone can talk about. Everyone is just trying to grasp exactly how this kind of tragedy could have happened. It's it's really every parent's nightmare, and every parent can put their themselves in that position. When yesterday morning at 8:30, parents were dropped simply dropping off their kids, only to have to rush back in the most traumatic of circumstances. All day long, we've been seeing people coming here to the church. This is where a vigil is happening in about half an hour. The prime minister is scheduled to attend. They've also been going to the daycare, which is about two kilometers away. They've been bringing flowers, teddy bears, notes of sympathy. And really, I've seen so many people just, just stand in front of the daycare in reflection, paying their respects to the two young children who died. They were just four years old. One was about to turn five next week, Michelle. Where do things stand, Vanessa, with the hunt for a motive? We've got one man in custody, the driver of that bus. What at this point is known about him? Well, we know very little about the motive at this point. Police say that they don't have any idea why this man plowed the city truck into the front of the daycare yesterday morning. They've charged 51-year-old Pierre Ni saint amand with nine charges, including two counts of first-degree murder. They say that they don't know what his state of mind was like at the time of the incident. And they also say that they don't know what ties that he has because they really haven't been able to find any ties links between 
between him and any children or any workers at the daycare. So yesterday afternoon, he did make a short court appearance from his hospital bed. He wasn't very cooperative. He would not say anything. He would just nod when the judge asked him a question. And he is scheduled to be back in court next week after undergoing a psychiatric evaluation, Michelle. CTV's Vanessa Lee live in Laval, where a vigil will be held this hour. Thank you, Vanessa. The Prime Minister will be in attendance. Appreciate it. The Premier today says his meeting with federal ministers over health care funding was productive. We have to consult with all the, the premiers right across the, the country, but it was a very positive, positive meeting. And I'm very grateful for both ministers to come here in such short notice. Uh, but we're, we all have the same objective to make sure we deliver better health care uh, right across this country. Doug Ford's sit-down included federal health minister Johnny Duclos. On the table is $8.4 billion to help with primary care, staffing and mental health. There is also $776 million offered for ERs and children's hospitals. No deal has yet been signed, but both Ford and Ottawa officials say there is more work left to reach an agreement. Well, for almost 30 years, Canada has celebrated February as Black History Month. A bit later tonight, recognizing the first African-Canadian woman MP who fought and won unanimous support for the legislation. But we turn now to the catastrophe in Turkey and Syria, where more than 20,000 people are now confirmed dead following this week's earthquakes. The scope of this disaster is staggering. Hundreds of thousands of all also been left homeless as rescuers race to find survivors. CTV's Tom Walters reports. The devastation is immense. Thousands of buildings across Turkey and Syria are now destroyed. And under layers of cement and rubble are lives, like that of this 21-year-old, who rescue workers are desperately trying to save. But as the hours pass, time is running out. And the chances of these joyful moments happening at all get slimmer and slimmer. Already the focus is shifting to identifying the more than 20,000 victims and giving them a burial. In Syria, the death toll is so high, mass burials are beginning. This father lost 20 people in the quake, including one of his daughters. Our friends are gone, all our neighbors are gone. I don't think we want to live anymore, he says. For those who survive, their lives are forever changed. Hundreds of thousands are homeless, and aid is just starting to flow. But in Syria, it's slow. Today, the first UN aid convoy finally moved in. We need aid, life-saving aid. It's def desperately needed by civilians wherever they are, irrespective of borders and boundaries. The scale of what happened here is still revealing itself. Four days after a single massive disaster, each hour brings more individual and personal ones. Tom Walters, CTV News, Adiyaman, Turkey. The aftermath of the earthquake devastation is also being felt by many here at home. CTV's Mike Walker reports on how people across the GTA are dealing with the tragedy and lending a hand to their home countries. This is the nightmare Mikhail frantically woke up to early Monday morning. Daylight revealing the devastating aftermath. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. We get lucky, you know. We could be dead too. The Thornbury man was visiting family in Gaziantep, a southern Turkey city, 30 kilometers from the epicenter of the deadly earthquake. And slowly 
walk down from like sixth floor and there's a kiosk. Everybody's running. People are screaming, crying. Like a lot of building, building the classrooms, they, they, they're gone too. He says they were forced to flee to his grandparents' village, which was spared by the quake, where there is shelter and power. We had the shortest gas and food. Where we are now, we're okay, but still we need more help. Hundreds of thousands of others haven't been that lucky. It's freezing outside. Whatever standing infrastructure remains, uh, people have just sought refuge in these areas. Uh, and if they haven't found um, a space indoors, they're taking shelter in their cars. Asha Saeed is with Islamic Relief Canada. The Burlington woman has been on the ground in Gaziantep since Monday, assisting with emergency relief efforts. Distribute as much aid as possible in the form of food, blankets, and water. Um, so just today, we did about four distributions, and in each distribution, we distributed uh, over 10,000 um, packs of food. Delivering aid to some of the hardest-hit communities remains a challenge. Because of just the extent of the damage, getting trucks around, road closures, rerouting has been a bit of a challenge. Mikkel will return to Gaziantep Friday to help with ongoing rescue efforts, hoping to find extended family and close friends that they've lost contact with. I still don't know how many people died because there's still a lot of building. They didn't work on them. Islamic Relief Canada is part of a coalition of Canadian aid agencies that have so far raised more than $4 million to support those affected by the disaster. The Toronto District School Board also launching a fundraising campaign to support the Red Cross relief efforts. Mike Walker, CTV News, Toronto. Meanwhile, the federal government is looking at possibly fast-tracking immigration applications for people in the earthquake zones. Tens of thousands are homeless in the middle of winter, struggling to get food, water, and shelter. Ottawa says it's trying to assess the effect of the sped-up plan on permanent residency applicants already in Canada's immigration system to determine how to help them. It would be one of the biggest shifts yet in Western support for Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky says several European Union leaders have told him they are ready to provide aircraft. Zelensky received standing ovations during an appearance today at the European Parliament. The Ukrainian leader did not provide details about who could provide the jets. He says some deals are still in the works, while others can't be made public. There was no immediate confirmation from any European countries. More than 1,200 artists performed his songs, a mellow soundtrack in the 1960s and 1970s. Music fans are mourning the loss of Burt Bacharach. Oh, but a chair is not a house And a house is not a home When there's no one there Bacharach died of natural causes at his home in the Los Angeles area Wednesday with his family by his side. He was 94. The composer's dozens of hits included Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head and Do You Know the Way to San Jose. Many were written with lyricist Hal David. He won multiple Grammy, Grammys, Oscars, as well as Tony Awards. Well, there could be another treatment for people with COVID-19. And unlike other therapies, such as Paxlovid, which forces patients to take multiple pills, this treatment is a single injection. The study tested 2,000 people in Canada and Brazil. Researchers found it offered significant protection to keeping people, even those at high risk, out of hospital and alive. Results were published in the New England Journal of Medicine. The therapy has yet to be approved in Canada and the U.S. 
Two men are recovering following an early morning fire in the city's east end. Crews were sent out to a fire on the second floor of an apartment near Eastern Ave and Carlaw. They say they had to knock down a door to get inside. The men were taken to hospital with smoke inhalation. There's no word on a cause. Police are investigating a morning crash in Midtown Toronto. The collision was near Bathurst and Eglinton just after 8.30. One man and one child were sent to hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Queen's Park could be getting a major facelift. The building is 130 years old and all of its key systems need to be replaced, including electrical and plumbing. Officials are considering moving government business elsewhere for about eight years to accommodate the work. Ontario's Legislative Affairs Minister says the project will cost at least $1 billion. Well, you know who's not getting a major facelift? The Toronto Raptors. Many thought the squad would be a big player during today's trade deadline. CTV Sean Leithong has been following the off-court action and joins us with the details. Sean. Well, Michelle and Zarada, Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet may have said it best when he said that the team is full of good players, but they haven't been winning. So with this failure to live up to their own expectations, many fans were speculating that the team would make a big move. That big move didn't happen. The gym inside the OBO Center is quiet as the NBA trade deadline came and went. For Raptors fans hoping for a blockbuster trade? Yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> With talk of possible trades for Raptors Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and OG Ananobi failing to materialize, Raptors team president Masai Ujiri says this wasn't the time. The way I look at the deadline, it's, it's really um, not a great place to make long-term decisions. One trade the Raptors did make very early this morning, reacquiring center Jakob Pertl from the San Antonio Spurs for Kem Birch and a protected first-round draft pick in 2024. He makes them better, but by how much? And is that going to make a difference in an Eastern Conference that has some really good teams? Josh Lewenberg from TSN says the seven-foot center fits a need for the Raptors right now, but the team must face the reality of their season. This is a team right now that's four games below 500. they They've played, I think, if you're being generous and you factor in injuries and some bad luck, they've played like a 500 team at best. Ujuri says he believes in the players they do have and that the better time to make those long-term plans is in the summer. In the summer, there's 29 losers and one winner. So there's 29 teams looking to do more. Until then, they have the remainder of this season to decide if this group of players is worth believing in next year. But Josh Lewenberg says that the trade for Jakob Pertl shouldn't be underestimated. Now, Pertl was somebody who they dealt in the Kawhi Leonard trade back in 2019. The team has always had their eye on reacquiring that big-name center, that big-height center. So this could be an improvement for this team. Reporting live, I'm Sean Lee-Thong. Michelle, send it back to you. Thank you, Sean. Coming up, why the road to a pair of schools is raising concerns, sounding the alarm over a location that does not allow students to walk and is a hotspot for speeders. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, more than 90 students who recently graduated as ultrasound technicians have been told their education wasn't valid. They're shocked they're not allowed to work in their chosen field and have to take their program all over again. I'll explain why that story's just ahead. 
We're still waiting on the final numbers, but it's safe to say that we have picked up a month's worth of rain today in the city of Toronto, at least by February standards. Overnight tonight, we will continue to get some precipitation, might change over to some wet flurries. Temperature remains mild, though winds, though, going to be the big story tonight and into tomorrow morning. We'll talk about that and the beautiful sunshine that's in store for this weekend. That's ahead in your forecast, and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. Ontario is in dire need of health care workers, so much so the province wants to make it easier for professionals from other provinces to work here. Students in Toronto who graduated from an ultrasound program were hoping to get jobs, but they're shocked to find out they can't. Explain for us, Pat Foran. Michelle and Zoraida, imagine going to college for two years, studying and working hard and then graduating. Then you find out the program you took has not been accredited, meaning your diploma has no value and you have to start all over again. <laughs> Najma Hashmin and Roya Sharula both took a diagnostic medical sonography program at a private college in North York. Their dream was to work in healthcare as ultrasound technicians. I wanted to become a healthcare worker. I wanted to serve to uh, this society. They are among a group of 94 students who took the program at Canadian All Care College. After they graduated, they were shocked to find out the program has not been accredited, meaning they can't take the Canada sonography exam, so they can't be hired as ultrasound technicians. It's very painful. It's very sad for me and for all students. The Ontario Ministry of Colleges and Universities told CTV News Accreditation Canada determined the program did not meet professional standards. The program has been revoked as it no longer met the conditions of program approval. Some students paid as much as $40,000 for the program, but the ministry said the school must give refunds and it has. Still students feel like they've wasted two years. Everything that we did, it's not worth it. We have to start all over again. Everything just wasted. My heart goes to them. All our staff are frustrated. We are not happy about this incident. The president of the college calls it an unfortunate situation and said they had followed all ministry directives and thought they had done everything necessary to be accredited. We hired qualified instructors. We have all the equipment they need. We invested millions into this program, to the equipment. We have, for example, 14 ultrasound machines and they're not cheap. The college says it's been in business 20 years and has 15 other programs and says nothing like this has ever happened before. It hopes the sonography program can be accredited in the future. For now, students are frustrated. They'll have to start their schooling all over again. This thing that happened to us, uh, it shouldn't happen. And the college said the process of being accredited was affected by delays caused by the pandemic. It's hopeful that students who took the program will still find a way to work in the ultrasound field. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Durham region is growing and as its population base increases, so too do the problems. In the small village of Newcastle, parents with school kids want action on what they say are two very big issues, space and speed. CTV's John Musselman explains. At first glance, they look like regular schools, Clark High School and the Pine Senior Public School. But there's a difference here that local residents and parents claim is unsafe. The school is located directly on Highway 115. 
Highway 115.35 is 90 kilometers, whereas every other school is 40 kilometers community safety zones. I mean, these cars really go closer to 120. You arrive and depart here by car or school bus. There's no walking to school. Lindsay Smith's daughter is scheduled to start the sixth grade at the senior public school in September. It's the same story for Ryan Frost and his son. It's a main freight route to Peterborough, so there's a lot of uh, big trucks going down this way, freight and things like that. So it definitely is a safety concern for uh, my family. But there's another issue brewing here besides safety. Growing enrollment in the area means there isn't enough space at Newcastle Public School, so more kids may be sent to this location in the coming years. Parents say that's a mistake. They want a new school for JK to grade 12 built at a safer location to replace this setup. Education Minister Stephen Lecce visited with key stakeholders this week. The issue appears to be money. In a statement released to CTV News, the board says, while the request for funding was not granted in 2022 as part of the province-wide application cycle, we have resubmitted our request and we will continue to advocate for the funding to support our long-term accommodation plans for the community. The local MPP for the area says, quote, the status quo does not work at Clark High School and the Pine Senior Public School. I have heard from many parents and appreciate their advocacy. That is why I invited the minister down for a tour of the site and a productive meeting with the board. Keep in mind, these schools have been located here for decades. Highway traffic is not new, but history shouldn't matter, according to these parents. There have never been children this young coming here before. So, to be honest with you, I don't see the past history as being relevant. Also, you know, traffic's changing, the population is changing, there are so many more houses being built. Really not much option for fencing, we did ask the board, and unfortunately the way the property line lies, and it's sandwiched between two gas stations, um, they're not able to put any protective measures there. Parents have started a petition to fight for funding to get a new school built. John Musselman, CTV News in Newcastle. And you're getting an idea of the rain in that story. I would say today qualifies as a washout. It does, but what's so strange, I mean, this should be snow, right? This should be a snowstorm. I'm telling you, if the temperatures had been just a couple of degrees cooler earlier today, this would have been snow, but now it's very mild and we're getting rain instead. Not very typical for the month of February. I'll go ahead and remind you once again to clear any storm drains in your neighborhood because in addition to the falling rain, we also have melting snow in many areas and that could lead to some urban flooding or at the very least some ponding on roadways. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. We still have wet weather in many areas. It may have stopped raining where you are for the time being, but uh, moving through the GTA, another round of showers. This special weather statement that remains in place is about the rain. Yes, maybe 25 millimeters total by the time we're done. Some areas have already seen that, but it's also warning us of the winds, which are going to really strengthen into the night tonight. When that happens, it's likely that this fog advisory will come to an end, which would be good news for visibility on the roads. But there is a wind warning in effect for the areas uh, along the shoreline of Lake Erie. The winds are going to be very powerful tonight. Into Niagara, maybe gusts of 90 to 100 kilometers per hour. That could result in maybe some isolated power outages as well. There's our current satellite and radar. So again, wet weather making its way through the West GTA and into downtown. This is a big low pressure system. It's bringing snow to northern parts of our province, as well as in through the province of Quebec, some mixing around the city of Ottawa, and then eventually this moves into Atlantic Canada. Behind
behind the low, we're going to have winds kick in, some cooler air arrives, and as a result, some lake effect flurries or showers going to be possible for some areas tomorrow. More on that in a moment. Here's a snapshot of midnight tonight. So again, the wind's not so much an evening story, more of a late evening and overnight. Gusting to around 50, 60 kilometers per hour here in the city of Toronto. Tomorrow, the winds ease, but it's still going to be breezy out there, and we're tapping into more of a west and northwesterly wind, and that results in a little bit of lake effect flurry activity, as mentioned. Likely that we could tap into a few of those as we make our way into Friday evening. Nothing accumulating, and then Saturday, the sky is going to clear, and we are going to be enjoying some sunshine. We might even get some peaks of sun for tomorrow. Afternoon high expected to be around 5 degrees. This warmer than normal pattern, really no signs of it coming to an end. In fact, next Tuesday is Valentine's Day, and conditions are looking pretty balmy. Here's a seven-day forecast. First, enjoy that sun into the weekend. High of around zero for Saturday. So that's closer to seasonal, but by Sunday, we're back up around five degrees. Four for Monday, six on Valentine's Day, and maybe seven by next Wednesday. That's when we also look to have our next uh, decent round of precipitation, once again, in the form of rain. That's a look at weather. Michelle, I'll send it over to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Parents of kids at a Hamilton elementary school say they are in desperate need of more educational assistance. The father of a nine-year-old student who uses a wheelchair says he's resorted to waiting outside the school in case his son needs help to go to the bathroom. CTV's Andrew Brennan reports. We're gonna get a Mutasim Saeed is like many kids. He loves to play. He teases his twin sister about being born one minute first. And he loves school. School like the... Mo most fun place, and, I, and I, I, I like it because I learn, have fun, and talk with my friends and stuff. What Saeed, who goes by Sumi, doesn't love is how often he says he has to be picked up or his father has to come to school to take him to the bathroom because his family says there aren't enough educational assistance. Mutaz Arbab often waits in his van outside for when his son needs him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep Sumi out of school no matter what. Even that, if it's caused me to not even get a job in my professional field, I would do that. That's my role to play as a parent. When he's not shepherding his son, the van doubles as an Uber so our Bob can work around school hours. Sumi, the problem began while Sumi was still able to walk. His parents say there weren't enough staff to help him with his exercises to slow down the progression of his spinal muscular atrophy. Last year, his mother says Sumi told her something that nearly broke her. Mom, I want to tell you something. I stopped asking the school to take me, uh, the, the, my ES, to take me to the washroom because I feel like they are tired. And that, at that moment, I cried. It's heartbreaking. Other parents at the school say this isn't an isolated problem. Amanda Strong's son is four years old on the autism spectrum, and she often gets calls, she says, to pick him up. My job's on the line um, just from missed work. Um, it, it's, it's a lot. The school council at Coots Paradise Elementary passed a motion to call on the board for more support. The Hamilton Wentworth School Board says it is actively recruiting despite a province-wide labor shortage. A spokesperson adding, we regret this happened as every child has the right to attend school and participate in their education. Education Minister Stephen Lecce's office says three and a half billion dollars is being invested in special education this year. But Sumi's family says time is of the essence. He, he had the right to an access education, and it's a human right. Which is why he says he and his wife are fighting, not just for their son, 
but so that other children can have access to the education that they deserve. Andrew Brennan, CTV News, Hamilton. Also tonight, she is the woman who made Black History Month happen in Canada, getting to know Canadian trailblazer Jean Augustine. Almost 30 years have passed since this country dedicated February to accomplishments and achievements of black Canadians. Tonight, CTV's Andrea Case profiles the woman who spearheaded that effort as she blazed a trail for justice and equality in Canada and around the world. Jean Augustine has spent her life in education, social activism and working for the community. So when the Ontario Black History Society wanted Black History Month to be recognized, it fell to Augustine, the new Liberal MP from Etobicoke Lakeshore, to make it happen. The motion, as you see it, is stripped right down to, we are here, we have been making our contribution, we are a diverse um, group of African Canadians, and... Uh, we're asking to designate February. And so there was nothing to debate. In 1993, Augustine was the first black woman to be elected as an MP. As she fought to have the Black History Month recognized, not everyone in the House was behind the motion. So you want February. Who's going to come for March? <laughs> when are we going to have White History Month, Augustine? <laughs> what was you your know? response to that? Well, I, I thought every day was White History Month. And, uh, and then you laugh, so you take the sting away from what was being thrown at you. Augustine, who has a master's degree in education from the University of Toronto, has been bestowed with seven honorary degrees. I had taught social studies, and I never taught anything about African Canadians. Neither did I teach anything about Indigenous peoples. I never taught treaties and land claims and residential schools. To get all the members of the House to sign on took some work. If it was today, I would put it on social media. I had to talk to them one by one by one. Eventually, the time came to vote. It was December 1995. If one no, then the whole thing caves. I was all pumped. I was all ready, and I knew we had the support. The House has heard the terms of the motion. Is it the pleasure of the House to adopt the motion agreed? Agreed. So ordered. By the next year, from coast to coast to coast, people began to recognize the milestone, and corporations followed. It was an exciting day. Andrea Case, CTV News. The family of the cinematographer fatally shot on a New Mexico movie set is suing Alec Baldwin and others. Helena Hutchins died in 2021 during filming of the movie Rust. Her parents and sister have launched legal action against Baldwin. Last month, the actor was charged with involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors accused him of reckless disregard for safety when a gun he was holding fired a live round. The star of this weekend's Super Bowl halftime show is promising a jam-packed show. That's what this show is going to be. It's going to be a celebration of my catalog in, in the best way that we could have put it together. And you only have 13 minutes. That's the challenge. So you're trying to cram 17 years of work into 13 <laughs> minutes. Rihanna spoke about her first live event in seven years today. The superstar singer says she's been working so hard to get ready. She almost forgot about her birthday and Valentine's Day. The Eagles square off against the Chiefs Sunday on CTV.
Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Winning game day dishes tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. Serving up delicious budget-friendly ideas for Super Bowl. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. It's just truly awful and an ongoing nightmare that we live. Updating our top stories, an inquest will be held into the 2020 death of a four-year-old girl found in a Milton conservation area. The body of Kira Kagan was discovered alongside her father's. A report into the incident suggests it was a murder-suicide. Never in my lifetime I thought that I would see my car driving in the hall. York police have named a suspect connected to a brazen drive through heist at Vaughn Mills Mall last week. 19-year-old Israel Mwamba is now wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for several charges, including breaking and entering. Definitely is a safety concern for uh, my family. Parents in the village of Newcastle are advocating for more speed enforcement in school zones. Two of the schools are along a highway and residents say drivers are speeding by while students are only able to arrive by vehicle. On the markets, the loony dropped seven basis points to 74.29 U.S. American benchmark oil slid 41 cents to 78.06 a barrel. And the TSX lost almost 82 points to close at 20,597. A cybersecurity incident has shut down Indigo's payment systems and website. In a statement posted to the site, the bookstore chain says it's working with third parties to resolve the situation. For now, Indigo stores are only taking cash. Customers who are waiting for an online order are being told to expect delays. Indigo has apologized for the inconvenience. Canopy Growth is laying off 800 workers as part of what the company is calling a transformation. Canopy plans to end cultivation at its headquarters in Smiths Falls, as well as one in Mirabal, Quebec. They'll now grow all cannabis in Kincardine and Kelowna, B.C. The layoffs are expected to take place over the next few months. Yahoo is also cutting staff. The company expected to eliminate about 1,000 jobs or around 12% of its workforce. It'll be the first round of layoffs in a larger move to restructure the advertising tech division. 20% of staff could be gone by the end of the year. Yahoo says the move will enable it to narrow its focus and investment on its flagship ad business. The Raptors were mostly quiet, but what will the Leafs do on trade deadline day? General Manager Kyle Dubas was asked about that today. With the exception of, of goaltender, uh, you know, if up front and on D, if there's a way that we can improve the team and give ourselves a better chance to, uh, um, to make a run at it, then, then we'll do that. Uh, some of it, I think the larger focus is always on the, the bigger names, but we have to look at the, the people who may improve us overall and not just the, the big names per se. The NHL trade deadline is March 3rd. In the meantime, Toronto returns to action tomorrow night in Columbus after a week off. Meanwhile, the Leafs have placed Matt Murray on injured reserve. The 28-year-old goaltender was nursing an ankle problem late last month. He was scheduled to start January 27th against Ottawa before being made a late scratch. Joseph Wool has been recalled in a corresponding move. And in another move today, Toronto announced a two-year extension for Connor Timmins. The defenseman will make $1.1 million a season. The 24-year-old St. Catharines native has one goal and 11 assists in 18 games this season. Still ahead, Toronto's trash troubles, the smart device that could help clean up our city's streets.
I'm Zoraida Allman. Coming up, transit riders voicing their concerns at a town hall tonight after a rash of violence on the TTC. And police now say they know who they are looking for in that wild drive through smash and grab at Vaughn Mills Mall tonight at 11.30. We leave you tonight with a growing problem along Toronto streets. Literally, it's the litter. Part of the issue stems from broken garbage bins, but as our Scott Lightfoot explains, there may be a smart solution. They are a trashy part of the public space and one that is often overflowing and unusable. I think pretty much everyone would agree Toronto's public space waste collection is not really going very well. Toronto City Council is now looking at ways to improve the city's public trash receptacles, long considered an eyesore by many. The bins are really uh, disgraceful. we got to do something. This week, Councillor Mike Cole passed a motion calling for the city to look at solar-powered trash and recycling bins with built-in compactors. We'd have these garbage cans or waste bins that were clean, uh, were uh, not overflowing, and would also uh, essentially uh, compact the garbage so you wouldn't have to come continually. According to the manufacturer, these types of bins are already in place in Winnipeg, Vancouver and Montreal and can take up to eight times as much waste as a traditional bin. They will also electronically notify staff when they need to be emptied. I think Toronto's public space waste problem is not just about the bins. The city's also authorized staff to look into other bin designs and technologies, but some think there are bigger issues around cleaning up Toronto's streets, including more frequent collection and better education for the public as to what can be recycled and what should be thrown out. I think it's about maintenance, good collection, good communications, and the bin can be part of that, but I wouldn't say it's the only thing that we need to do. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Well, it's still wet out there, Lindsay. At least we don't have to shovel it. Yes, that is the upside. And I, I think maybe now is a good reminder that any ice surfaces that were out there even just a couple of days ago that looked like maybe an enticing pond to go skating on, best to avoid right now. It is mild out there, and of course, it is very rainy. Here's one more look at the... Uh, we're going to start, actually, rather, with the satellite and radar. And you can see that period of rain that's making its way over the city of Toronto. Right now, there are some dry slots behind it, but it looks like we're going to be dealing with on and off precipitation for at least uh, the next several hours and the winds are really only going to intensify from here. They're quite strong right now in southwestern Ontario, not overly noteworthy yet in the GTA and once those winds strengthen I think we'll see the fog advisory come to an end. It remains in effect and visibility is especially poor right now in the west end of the GTA so do take care if you have to venture out. There's the wind warning that's in place for the Niagara Peninsula and the north shore of Lake Erie. Waking up tomorrow morning this may look a little bit worse than it's going to be, but it is possible that we could see some wet flurries here in the city of Toronto. It's really just about a 30% chance. Overall, the day, though, is dry. We will hopefully get some peaks of sunshine. If we don't, though, there's plenty more sun in store for the weekend. A really nice-looking weekend forecast, I must say. And after today's washout, I think we deserve it. Right, Michelle and Zoraida? Agreed. Sure <laughs> okay, thanks, Lindsay. And be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching. Have a good night. We'll see you at 11.30.